It would also help if I didn't talk into my hands. I don't know why I was doing that. Like covering my mouth with both my sleeve and my hand. Like, yeah, this will make for some great audio. Whenever we do a during the day recording, well, which has only happened twice, been once, and it was a total abject failure. <laughs> the, the microphone is the right microphone. Yeah, okay, I did just check that my microphone was plugged in. So. <laughs> yeah, there we go, time to begin. <laughs> this is Bread and Barricades, a layman's podcast. Uh, I'm Nemo Martin, I use they them pronouns. And <laughs> today when I went to get my booster shot, the, uh, the doctor who was giving it to me asked as she had the needle hovering over my arm what I do for a living and I said oh I'm you know doing a PhD in uh, French literature and as she stabbed me she went and what on earth are you going to use that for (laughs) (laughs) so it was really a life-affirming start to the morning and then because you know they're like bashing people out to get these boosters like you know they kind of want you in and out within Mm. like a minute um she didn't even like let me do a follow-up to that and so she was like okay so uh that was it if you have any of these symptoms uh cool blah 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 blah." and then like urged me out the room and I was like but I need to tell you that I'm a working human being (laughs) I was surprised when you said you got asked that because it was like they know that you don't have time to answer yeah right like I I think it's one it was the like distraction tactic of like oh you know what do you Mm. do for a living and stuff but I was like why would you say something so controversial (laughs) you have quite a um history of it's usually the medical nurses being like what are you doing (laughs) they all like every single time I like any time a nurse is about to like stick a needle in me they're always so like they manage to pinpoint my greatest weaknesses (laughs) (sighs) nice (laughs) (laughs) i'm stevie she they pronouns primary and secondary researcher (laughs) i have a surprise for nemo today oh my gosh this is what I was doing with my morning. I did some secondary researching. Hell yeah. And I was, it's been so long since I've done it that um, Sarah was like, oh, how did it go? And I was like, I forgot that you literally, you put four hours of your whole life into it. And then you look at your page of notes and you're like, that's not 10 minutes of speaking. <laughs> <laughs> like I could have read the chapters in a lot less time. But mm. it's our last show of this year. Actually, it's going to be the first of the year. So starting off strong with secondary research, because actually I didn't tell you this, but I also have secondary research. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like candle lights gift to each other. Because I was like, this is maybe going to be a half hour episode, depending how funny Nemo wants to be for how long. But this is great. Maybe we can actually make it out. Uh, well, what's yours then? Um... Mine's about coal miners, so uh, if there's something that's really... (laughs) Oh, thanks, an avocado. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if yours relates more, like, it was mostly because I was looking at, um, you know, that one quote that I bring up quite often, uh, which was, oh, it is to do with these boys. Oh, my God, it will be related. Hell yeah, actually. So, oh, but that might be later. Um... (laughs) (laughs) well we'll see where we go and then um i'll share the coal miner stuff after that that's so exciting ah we are (laughs) secret gifting mine's on both 
So I looked at Christmas and New Year's traditions in France around the 1830s, which is where we're at right now. Hell yeah. Okay, that's and, way more topically related. <laughs> well, but coal is what Santa gives you if you're bad. <laughs> so it's all very related. Yeah, it's all themed. <laughs> How do we want to do this? <laughs> um, I feel like yours... Um, are we going to talk about any of the boys today? Uh, the, the bad boys today? Um, mine weren't, but... <laughs> but now we've got boys who are bad and coal. Which is what they'd be given. Let's go with Christmas stuff first then. Okay. Uh, Shall I do Christmas and then New Year's? Because that's the order that those celebrations come, at least in France at this time. So I was like, so felt so smart that I was like, I'm going to secretly log into Nemo's JSTOR because I don't have a JSTOR (laughs) account, but I know Nemo's logins. I'm not even going to ask them for the login so they won't even know I've done this research. And then as always, JSTOR just like let me down. I don't know what I expected, but um, n- none of this research comes from JSTOR. If we oh. wanted to talk about Spanish traditions yeah. in the 1830s, there was just so many sources that I was like, well, this is great, <laughs> but you really can't help me. <laughs> so a lot of our sources will actually be coming from this one website that is Shannon Celine. Imagine the bounds of history. Um, and she, she's written uh, a load of like historical fiction, but also has like a his- history blog. I like read her about to be like, okay, this seems like she's a person enough for me to be <laughs> using her. So, and like, I really love with her blog posts, it is usually like, so for example, one is, is like Christmas gift ideas from the 19th century. And then it's like basically just secondary sources quotes Mm. and then like where she got them from which is way more than I was getting from like anyone else so yeah it was like oh my god you saved my day Shannon (laughs) (laughs) so this is just I guess this is mostly gonna be me like reading your quotes and uh, (laughs) random facts because it was it's so hard to find information about Christmas traditions in France right now Mm. maybe that says something that that was so hard whereas like like jstor you could get it on literally anywhere else (laughs) um christmas we had christmas trees Mm -hmm. at this point of time um they first appeared in the 11th century sort of closer to the borders with germany Mm. but by the 1830s they had become a common feature in French households and were traditionally decorated with fruit, paper flowers, and ribbons. Mm. And that was corroborated on several people's websites. So I was like, okay. Including one was the um, completefrance.com. Um, <laughs> Everything France. And the other one was um, a website about the French mountains. <laughs> Oh my god! You know when it's like the okay. official websites of parts of countries that you're like, I uh-huh. wish that you would um, put where you're getting this information from, but like I feel like I should trust you. Yeah, they're just like, listen, trust us. We're the French mountains. We know. <laughs> <laughs> we would know. Um, yeah. But they both agree that 
some kind of fruit, one of them specified apples, flowers and ribbons. Um, hmm. I wouldn't expect apples for some reason. Though I did have Christmas ornaments as a kid that were like those little red apples. Aww. So maybe that used to be... Because I was imagining like orange slices. Yeah, that's what I've done. Maybe is orange more southern Europe? Middle Eastern? Question mark. I'm not sure. Did they have oranges in France at this period of time? Wow, that wasn't what a thing that I looked at. <laughs> but I guess oranges. apples make sense because we knew we were growing apples. Mm. The orange originated in a region encompassing southern China, India, and Myanmar, which is interesting. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said that. Even though, like, East Asia, it's, like, so common to give Mm. oranges. And there's a variety called the Mandarin. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, maybe oranges would have been too expensive to, like, use as an ornament mm. in France. Portuguese were presumably the first to introduce the sweet orange to Europe. And kind of went to Italy. And then in Germany... Uh, orange is Apfelsine, which is the uh, apple from China. The more you know. <laughs> so yeah, who knows? They probably didn't have oranges, maybe, from my two seconds of looking <laughs> in, in uh, <laughs> Wikipedia. So no citrus smells, which I do I do think of citrus as like a Christmassy thing, because I'm putting it in mulled wine. But mm, yeah, right. Apples, and then like another somebody's Tumblr post was like maybe pears, mm. um, but they were also the tum- this Tumblr post I found was also like I've tried to do some research for you guys, but it's really hard, and that was one of the first things I came across. So I was like, how hard can it be? Really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, Louis the Fourteenth had a great love of orange trees and built the grandest of all royal orangeries in the Palace of Versailles. Uh, what? So when he was uh, sixteen thirty-eight to seventeen fifteen, so mm-hmm. rich people had them in the eighteenth century, but okay. assumedly poor people did not. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could paint your apple orange. Yeah, and yeah. be happy with that. <laughs> A traditional dessert was the chocolate sponge cake shaped to resemble a yule log um, which is like a thing at least we still do in england Um, and this was first created in france in the 1800s by a patissier either from lyon monaco or paris and it it just depends who's telling the story Mm, um mm, classic (laughs) classic (laughs) (laughs) um but from one of those and the Traditional dessert pays homage to the French tradition of burning a Yule log during the festive period. Mm. That's from CompleteFrance.com. Hell yeah. What is a Yule log? (laughs) Isn't it just like a good looking log that you burn and you all sit around? I see. Uh... A log of the Yule tree? Yeah, I was just thinking it like is a Yule Yule type of tree. It's uh, the Yule boar. When you look up your log, it just wants to give you a dessert. Yeah. Germanic is the first clear tradition. Those pagans in Germany. Okay, so, yeah. And then it became the chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) So, we've got our Christmas... So, actually, this Christmas with Jean Valjean and Cosette, because they're having Mm. Christmas together, they've Mm. got their um, Christmas tree... 
Yeah. Which was Sapin de Noël. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got their Bouche de Noël, their chocolate, uh, <laughs> chocolate Yule Lug. Um, their tree has all pears, maybe an orange in it, if Jean Valjean could grow one well. Because weren't they doing with... Oh, no. No, it was it was Marius's best old man friend who could do with fruit what Marius's dad could do with mm. flowers. Mm. But maybe like someone out there who's good at growing fruit, and we've got plenty of them in this book. Um, yeah, like Fush I mean, Fush of Mar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the nunnery had one orange tree. Yep. <laughs> um, they got their paper flowers. They've got their ribbons, and Christmas Day in Paris. Um, you're probably a mess because mm. we're very Catholic right now. So from a Parisian newspaper uh, in December 24th and 25th, 1824, um, the exchange and other public establishments will be shut. All the theatres likewise will be closed except for Franzoni's Circus where equestrian exercises will be performed. <laughs> and the theatre of M. Comte, Passage de Panoramas, whose performances are peculiarly, uh, peculiarly adapted mm-hmm. to the juvenile branch of society, who always reckon upon amusement at the present season. Wow. That's so shady to be like, <laughs> fucking kids. <laughs> Christmas is not about children. <laughs> um, so yeah, so only two theatres will be opened and um, a grand mass in music of the composition of Desvines will be performed with full orchestra at the Cathedral of Notre Dame at 10 o'clock in the morning and the Archbishop of Paris will officiate pontifically. Mm. <laughs> so that was what was going on in 1824 in Paris. So I think that was my Lema's timeline. Um, that is when Cosette and Jean Valjean are at Petit Pipus. So <laughs> yeah, they could have gone to a thing. They were probably at their own convent doing mass, but maybe yeah. they went to see the equestrian show. Yeah, little Cosette got really excited by horses. Can't believe Cosette's a horse girl. (laughs) (laughs) You can't believe that Cosette could be a horse girl. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, I can fully believe that Cosette would be a horse girl. (laughs) That long hair, it just just (laughs) makes sense. Fully wearing jodhpurs everywhere. (laughs) And what could their gifts have been? This was also very hard to find, but... Um, hey, Stevie, what could their gifts have been? <gasps> it could have been coal. <laughs> Take it away! <laughs> um, so, one thing that... Um, probably not a gift that... Well, maybe that Jean Valjean would have given Cosette at this time, but potentially that... Um, there was like Max gift card. <laughs> <laughs> There was like newspaper articles like written at the time that were like, here's some ideas of what to give each other this Christmas. Uh-huh. Um and things for your toilet, which was your used to mean your like 
face cream and doing your hair and things like that like mm. your beauty regime was your toilet i guess mm. yeah. so this is like teen vogue <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listing the best face creams for your teenage daughter <laughs> literally um, christmas gifts by john bull this was 1840 but um, they literally yeah. were doing the like top 10 gifts <laughs> and um yeah so one was so there was this company called Jelaine which began in 1828. So that was, I was like, ha around the time period I'm looking for. And mm. they were a perfume store in Paris. And him and his sons created custom fragrances. And then by 1840, they had expanded into other, like, getting ready for your day stuff. Um, and here we have a little Christmas advert advertising their, uh, their wares. Mm. those who have experienced the torture of a rough or irritable skin will be able to appreciate the value and advantage of Jelaine's cream for shaving which has obtained the patronage of the most fashionable classes both on the continents of Europe and America and in this country it's soothing, agreeable and indeed luxurious qualities are such as actually to convert pain into pleasure and render a task (laughs) formerly one of a most repugnant nature, a duty of the most pleasing kind oh my god this this is reminding me have you seen that post recently on tumblr that's been going around about crisco i don't think so it's like um it's like vegetable shortening or something like that um but like on the advert it used to say digestible because gay men mm. used to use it as lube, yeah. question mark. And so, like, it became kind of a thing of um, uh, there would be, like, Crisco balls and stuff like that. And I was like, can the shaving cream be used as lube <laughs> in the next big fan fiction? I know this is supposed to be about Cosette and Valjean, but this is for sure a Javert and Valjean setup. Yeah, I mean, I was just using them as a very loose framing device for why I've done this research. But it could be any, any gift gift this season we've got a lot of boys <laughs> we're talking about as well right now yeah they could definitely go on a um because when you said like f- what was it customizable fragrance or whatever yeah um that they go on one of those dates that's like i see it's very modern you know you go to like a perfume company with your partner and you like you you make a, a fragrance that's like your fragrance with your husband or whatever it mm. is um one of those experiences so for sure jean Valjean is like we should go and do that and javert is like i would rather die <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about jean Valjean would never allow himself such luxury <laughs> <laughs> that's true it's set up for them Cosette would yeah, buy them yeah. the experience Cosette got them the gift card to go do this <laughs> but they're like they'd end up in the um, is it Perfume the book it's set in Paris isn't it I Originally. don't know what you're talking about sadly oh, I mean, the, so I read the book Perfume I can't remember when it's set but um, have you not seen the film it's got Ben Wisher in it no, I haven't. <gasps> interesting. I don't. I, it would be very interesting to watch you watch it <laughs> for many reasons. Don't let me get off track too much. But um, okay. okay, just know that I'm going to make you watch it, and that that's who I'm imagining they have to deal with when they go have their custom perfume uh-huh. experience. Set in 17th century France, the film tells the story of Jean Baptiste Guénuel, an olfactory genius. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow, it was earlier than this. Yeah. Wow, I don't know why I didn't 
that's, I don't know why that surprises me so much. I mean, it's all... <laughs> yeah. It's all... Yeah. It's all those old people. There's a lot of sh- big billowy shirts. Ooh, um, excellent. But, um, yeah. So, and yeah, I doubt... We, well, I guess I could do some research into it, but I didn't on what a shaving cream consistency would look like at this time. I mm. wanted to say I didn't imagine it would be like a foam like we have now, because it's like cream for shaving. It could be a cream... But then, so like, it could be a lube. <laughs> in Sweeney Todd, it's like a lather, right? Mm. You like, you you, you do make the foam by yeah. using a whiskey thing. So I want to say, like, it's like probably got like, like it's it's foamy because of the soap bubbles, mm. not because of like aeration, like scan can, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean. There was not much to choose from the lube, surely you'd be glad of anything. Yeah, though I guess it's more soapy than oily, and I'm assuming you want more Yeah, that's true. But oily. it's so soothing and agreeable and <laughs> indeed luxurious. And perfect for pleasure, yeah. Yeah. Converts pain into pleasure, in fact. <laughs> A perfect Christmas gift for the time. Um, yeah, that I was like, even if... So this was that uh, was written in 1840, but mm. because it mentions that Jelaine began in 1828 for the perfumes, at the very least, surely the fancy perfumes would be a Christmas gift. Mm. So that's my argument. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point in time, as as Cosette starts to come out of the convent, probably not from Valjean to Cosette, but I do think that in the next sort of year of this novel then definitely Cosette is forcing him to buy it for her Mm. like you're a young lady of some some social standing at least they're kind of pretending right yeah you need you need things like perfume and etc yeah so let us imagine because also (laughs) he wants to he wants to he doesn't really like sparing expenses on his gal yeah um, yeah. So that's what's under their apple and pear Christmas tree with their Yule Apples and pears! <laughs> um, and they definitely went to mess. Yeah, definitely. Like, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But New Year's Day in Paris in the 1800s, mm-hmm. um, back on my best girl, Shannon, um, <laughs> New Year's Day was a bigger celebration than Christmas in 19th century France. It's, yeah, like the most exciting holiday, the day of the year, they'd refer to it as. New Year's Day in Paris is the most remarkable day in the whole di- in the whole year. All the shops are shut, labour suspends his toil, commerce reposes on her oars, and the philosopher postpones his studies. Um, in the weeks preceding New Year's Day, artists employ all their talents and skill to shine with an uncommon luster on this auspicious opening of the new year, confectioners, embosses of visiting cards, jewelers, everyone's just doing these huge displays. Magnificent, difficult to describe and totally unknown in England. Um. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Winter Wonderland, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe we had literally nothing in 19th century um, so, so this, uh, so currently I'm reading from a newspaper written in 1822, um, mm. 
But like, it does sound very grand what they're up to in France. And I'm like, did we just do nothing in England? <laughs> <laughs> totally unknown. I mean, wait, but is this before? Because we only have Christmas now because one of the queens married an Albert, right? Who was German. When was that? <laughs> but we had like Christmas Carol. People were writing Christmas books. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, Queen Victoria and Albert introduced the Christmas tree, which was 19th century, right? Yeah, late century. 1800s. Mm. But we're on New Year's. We're not even on. We're not on Christmas anymore. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Well, maybe we just didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but France is on it. This is the day of universal greetings and renewing acquaintances and counting how many links have been broken by time last year in the circles of friendship and what oh. new ones have replaced them. So everyone, no matter what their rank, degree or profession, writes a list of names of people whose friendship they want to preserve or cultivate. And to each of these persons, a porter is sent to deliver their card. Oh, yeah, it's like quite that's like quite a sweet tradition. Yeah, um, like and if you're connected by blood or like a particular friendship, you visit in person, mm. and all who meet embrace oh. on this happy day. Millions of cards are distributed, and nothing is seen in the streets but well-dressed persons going to visit their friends and relations and renew in an affectionate manner all the endearing charms of friendship. Mm. Um, and this is also on this day uh, parents, friends and lovers bestow their presence on their various objects of affection and pour out many draughts of the many most delightful balm that human nature can partake I bet it must have got so bitchy though with like deciding who you're going to send a card to and who you're going to visit in person like oh we just received a card from blah 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 instead of having him come to meet us what the fuck (laughs) or like imagine you you sent a card to someone and they do not send you one back yeah oh my god or you've just sent a card to their house and then they come and see like they they're like they arrive on your doorstep and you're like fuck (laughs) you're like sorry it was so busy um because it so it does go on uh to do with that sort of part of the tradition that Mm. literally you've got to like if you don't have your own porter or like guy with a cab to Mm. go send your letters you're queuing up mm. for um, just like praying that some spare driver is going to come around and they could charge like up to like 30 times what they would usually charge to run errands for people on New Year's. Yeah. And that it oh would basically God. become a bidding war. Of And like they have like a little, there's like a little um, pretend version of that. It would literally be like, someone would be like, oh, you know, like I'll give you three francs to go send this. And he's like, Pfft. I could go, like, do my own thing for that amount. Like, no, someone offer me more. Someone offer me something more. And they'll literally be, like, clamoring over each other, like, oh, my God, because they've just, like, not been able to secure someone to do it ahead of time for them. So it's, like, kind of a bit of carnage on the streets. Yeah, this is amazing. Like, the Uber supercharged or whatever it's called. Yeah. (laughs) 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 And that... It's like, on the one hand, it's like such a nice tradition of like going and like visiting, kissing and present making and um, etc. But then it also, I'll send or um, make my page of notes available in the bibliographies so you can read like this whole source, but they have like a whole list of like, this is the kind of thing people also use it for. For example, like maybe you've done 
a theatre performance and you know that um, the reviewer is going to absolutely drag you when, <gasps> and this is going to be your show's going to like come out the week after New Year's, you go to the like editor of the newspaper and you in person give them a little greeting card so oh that of course God. then the article will not appear. Her performance will be cited as a model of grace, intelligence and a spirit. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, um, actually, recently, Andrew Lloyd Webber, him again, um, he's he's just started a new show in London, uh, a new version of Cinderella. Well, new, it's been like a couple of months. And he sent, he made the stage managers play a voice note that he sent the cast into like the tannoy like five minutes before the show and it was like you all suck none of you are doing well i hate you so much because they got a bad review in the i think it was the new york times or something which and everyone's like oh because he wanted to take it to new york and because of the bad review they probably won't open there Mm. and it's like had the like it's had a really terrible like run already because of covid and stuff and cancellations but yeah like that uh i bet he wishes that he lived in the 19th century (laughs) where he could just like send a little fucking card instead of sending a stupid voice note to the cast like a bitch bastard man yeah that's so horrible you have to stand behind your lads yeah well I'm sure he would have sent a little note card if he could, if yeah. he were still doing this. Um, <laughs> so you can be using this like for your own bullshit, I guess. That mm. There's also like, um, there's the man who, even though this woman hasn't been his um, mistress for like so many years, it's just like ingrained that you're like, oh, I go and send this card because it's just like <laughs> um, habit. <laughs> And then, like, I don't know either of the two gentlemen who are kissing both sides of each other's faces, um, bowing and exchanging little paper packets. And I was like, that's just the thing that you could be seeing on this in the streets. Um, Yeah, I guess like now we just have Christmas cards, right? Well, I I haven't sent a Christmas card probably ever in my life, but you know that is something that. Like, my grandma used to have a, a wall of, like, Christmas cards that would come in, and she would have, like, her whole, like, black book that she would, like, send cards to. And, like, people that she had never talked to, like, people who were clients of my grandpa, that she would still be sending Christmas cards to, even though she never, like, met them, and my grandpa died, like, and she would still get Christmas cards from them. So I guess it is that kind of tradition of, yeah. like like keeping up good relations in yeah. a time where you can't just like you can't <laughs> just do that yeah, yeah exactly because like yeah I feel like it's maybe less of a younger generation thing but even like uh Sarah's family they're big card people like mm. you send cards for everything like we've been getting cards like Christmas cards from them um mm. ones where it doesn't even like say who it's to in the card <laughs> it's just like love from but it's like but it's like a th- you just that's just a thing you do Mm. and that I feel like it was such a thing like I remember my great grandma being like oh I'm taking so and so off the Christmas card list yeah (laughs) but it is that sort of social like nicety and then also you're like "Hmm, well (laughs) we're no longer sending one to so and so Um, the equivalent of a block button (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I guess we weren't doing that in England at this time because if it's saying that like like it was an English newspaper who did the thing being like, 
the way they do it in France is like n- so magnificent, mm. nothing like you'll see in England. That I wonder if we got it from them that we were like, oh, this is nice and also passive aggressive card sending. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> they probably like saw the passive saw the niceness and were like "Mm, okay bit too fresh for us and then they saw the passive aggressive uses and they were like oh yeah perfect (laughs) sign us up so because it's also like like it's the people you want to stay friends with but like people you want to be in your lives i Mm. imagine javert sending the like enemy card like i am renewing our um what's the word uh I'm renewing our rivalry. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. They're the two old men who you don't recognize, embracing <laughs> each other, kissing each other's cheek, exchanging little notes, and it's like, I still hate you. It's like 60 years of keeping the notes, like, oh. from um, from um, Montreal Sumer, where he's like the policeman to the mayor, and it's like, you know, one of those like nicety things, like, from the police, like, because, you know, they probably did have to do the whole, like, thank you for being the mayor kind yeah. of thing, and Javel was the one who had to sign it, and it was like, um, the precinct wishes to send its regards to you on this new year, <laughs> and then slowly it becomes, like, more uh angry and then it becomes more <laughs> loving as it becomes the modern day uh, um, yeah i haven't read an epistolary fic in a long time <laughs> yeah this was actually just me giving you flavor text so that you now can go <laughs> up and write that fic for me Nima. <laughs> i see i see it's the gift for me for you <laughs> yep <laughs> this is a gift for me <laughs> yeah so um yep and maybe they exchange those little gifts and then you then write the Christmas one where they're giving each other the shaving foam and Gazette gives them yeah. the uh, go get your custom blend scent. Um, yeah. But another thing on New Year's is that, so the like biggest thing is um, like sugar plums mm. is the big New Year's tradition. Relations, friends, acquaintances visit each other, kiss and exchange sugar plums. And in the weeks leading up, all the makers and vendors of fancy articles like diamond necklaces and tiaras and sweetmeat boxes um, are like busy making all these New Year's presents mm. um, with the sugar plum at the center of it. And all the um, the bonbon shops, all the like candy stores <laughs> and stuff are like super stocked. And of making these huge displays, like not weighing out how much sugar and whatever is going into it they're just like going for huge extravagance Mm. um forming sugar into tasteful imitations of carrots cupids ends of candles roses sausages (laughs) soap bead necklaces they're like that is an array (laughs) yeah that's it's an interesting insight into i guess like yeah what would be like i guess people will be looking at um, Chocolate Man's TikToks in like 300 years <laughs> and being like, and he was making like fan or whatever yeah, it is he's been making. <laughs> A crane. <laughs> like, whoa, why would they put these on their mantelpiece? Then the author of this uh, little publication piece, after listing off the things that they make, all that is nice or nasty in nature and art. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was like, which ones of those is nasty? Seth? Yeah. <laughs> the candle ends. I guess it's like, 
I, I feel like that's one of those sensible chuckle gifts that you would give people. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, oh, look, it's made out of sugar. And people would be like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Are you feeling, is that feeling nasty? Uh, and hands over, I guess, the carrot, the candle ends and the sausage for the phallic mm. sugar collection. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, anyway, so that's going on. Um, but the sugar plum makers are numerous in the Parisian Lombard Street. So I guess you're like running house to house, doing your highs, and then you get your sugar plums. And then it may be asked, is all this visiting and kissing and present making and sugar plumizing to be set down either to the account of sheer interest or to that mm. of heartless form? Partly to one, perhaps, partly to the other, and some part of it to a kinder principle than either. But, be it as it may, motors of interest receive a decent covering for the occasion. These heartless forms serve to keep society together, and without philosophizing the matter, let it be set down that, for all these days in the year, none is so perfect a holiday as New Year's Day in Paris. Hmm, okay. So, this was written in the Times. In London, so this is like an Englishman's uh, take on New Year. So I guess that's why it gets to the end, and that's after him being like, "Oh, they do all these nice things on the cards," and then also does the like, "But you're also going to be giving cards to people to kind of try and bribe them um, mm. and try and get some favor." So I guess that's why at the end they're like, "Well, is it nice? Are they bastards? Well, it keeps society together." But on the whole, I enjoy it. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, the times eighteen twenty three. <laughs> on the the wikipedia for sugar plum because i had the thought like suddenly wait is it like actually a sugared plum and yes that's where it started but there's like the biggest paragraph is is like dedicated to the fact that in the 18th century the word plum became british slang for a large pile of money and it's like oh. we infect the cynicism so <laughs> like uh there's like stuff about the mechanical method of how to make it and stuff and then it's like yeah and then the british say it's a bribe so wow when did we Um, when did it become a bribe uh 18th century oh um before the sugar plumbing of actual plums yeah because it's uh because it often ticks several uh, because sugar was a luxury product Mm. because of the amount of intent sugar plums were a luxury project product as well as sugar because of the amount of sugar it used and the amount of like labor it used and the amount of like (laughs) new technology they were inventing to deal with it so yeah the sugar plum then came to mean uh, a large pile of money or a bribe well (laughs) he has to go and make it sad i guess yeah yeah well i like to see it as i guess as the same times reporter that you're like maybe some people (laughs) using it as a bribe but it's it's nice to have traditions, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to go say to your friend, I am invested in your friendship for the next year. We'll see at the yeah. end of the year how I feel about the year after. <laughs> um, it is just making me think of like, you know, at the end of the year, um, my my housemate Rumsey, he works in an office. And so he often brings home loads of like gift packs that they give to him. But because he's like really, he, he, he he's quite choosy about what he eats. And also he's Muslim, so he doesn't drink alcohol. Uh, so like most of the stuff he just gives to me and it's like wow all of these really expensive like hot au chocolat like mm. chocolates and stuff like the huge packs and like bottles of champagne and stuff and I'm like uh, they are bribing you <laughs> <laughs> well 
at least he's getting bribed and not getting nothing. Yeah, that's Such true. Yeah. Bring it yeah. all for, for New Year's. <laughs> for New Year's. <laughs> oh, and then I forgot I had one more piece that I, now I'm like, I was kind of trying to like end on the nice sugar plums and then uh, forgot that this was coming. Well, I'm going to bring the tone down completely. So for sure, go for it. Okay, that's true. I'm warming you up. Um, <laughs> New Year's wishes from the 19th century. So on January 1st, we're still in 1823. Um, so we're still like in around the period that I wanted to be looking at traditions for. Also, I could not find traditions for any other time. Um, <laughs> so it's New Year's Day, January 1st. And this is a piece written in Galignani's Messenger, which is an English language newspaper published in Paris. Hmm. Um, and they're conveying their New Year's wishes as follows. <laughs> Undoubtedly hoping the government of King Louis the Oh God thirteenth X V one 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 eighteenth eighteenth okay Louis the eighteenth hoping he's paying attention perhaps <laughs> um, so <clears throat> the part departure of the old year the dawning of the new one naturally offer an ample range of serious reflection. Another mm. page in the book of experience has just closed upon us. But it is only from experience that we can acquire wisdom, and through it may sometimes prove a, a bitter drought. Yet the philosopher, whether in public or in private life, will not fail to turn to it as a profitable account. It affords a lesson of equal instruction to the prince and to the peasant. <laughs> um, it points with monetary hand to evils encountered and to errors committed and acts as a friendly beacon to our future path and practice. This time of year is associated with the renewal of brotherhood and affection, uh -huh. reciprocal forgiveness of injuries, <laughs> the union of pleasure uh, with deeds of mercy and charity. It's a time of peace and goodwill to all mankind. Oh my god. And those sentiments cannot too much be too much cherished or too often uh, promulgated. We take a retrospective glance of the political events of the past year and mm. then turn to the actual state of Europe with as much cause for regret for the blood that has unhappily been shed in Greece and in Spain. Those who in the march of armies and the sailing of fleets delude themselves with visions of glory and courage would do well to reflect at what price those bubbles are purchased. In peace, human life is preserved. In war, it is sacrificed. Hell yeah. In yeah. In peace, <laughs> the public expenses and consequently the, the burdens of the people are diminished. In war, they are greatly augmented. In peace, a free commerce stimulates it to enterprise <laughs> uh -huh. and industry produces abundance and contentment. But in this pursuit of the most successful war, nation always retrogrades from civilization and happiness. So they really, on New Year's Day, were like, here's our anti-war manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, let's just use this time to think. Um, <laughs> And then they're, they're like, because they know the time they're living in, they're like, yeah. you know, on one principle, of course, war is, you know, not only justifiable, what may be termed a holy measure mm. when you're defending our native soil or when it may be necessary. 
Um, yet only then, when every means of negotiation has failed. <laughs> <laughs> so far as this later argument bears on the relative position of France and Spain, we venture to hope there is now little to apprehend, and this hope is powerfully supported by the benevolent character of the uh, monarch of France, to whose paternal government and Pacific sentiments this country is so deeply indebted for its present <laughs> flourishing and improving condition. The French ministry is too wise and too moderate to plunge <laughs> the nation into hostility <laughs> without strong and provocative grounds of necessity. And the Spanish nation has too much prudence and good sense to strike the first blow. No, Louis XVIII, don't start war. You're too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so that was written on the 1st of January. And the writer uh, was never seen again. 1823. <laughs> on January 28th. 1823, King Louis announced his intention to send troops into Spain. Oh my god. As <laughs> a writer, he put like, like, lost his shit and was like, I am on the edge. I need to publish this. And like, they weren't going to do a newspaper on the first of the new year, but he published it anyway. <laughs> oh, it like, it's just like so sad. <laughs> But then also, like, it is, like, it does give you that insight, I guess, into, like, you know, this is what people were feeling at the time, that, like, Mm. I guess Victor Hugo had all those mixed war feelings. Mm. Um, But, yeah, that he's like, please, let's not do this. (laughs) Surely, like, think how good it is when we can, like, work through things without war. And then literally 22 days later, so we're going to war. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god uh, like oh, um those, those tumblr people who have the gift who have been gifted the sight of prophecy <laughs> literally <laughs> he was trying to get out in front of this yeah but yeah so the sad new year's tradition of being like please let's next year be better yeah and uh that's the last thing i have on uh the <laughs> Holidays in Paris <laughs> around 1830. So I guess that spanned 1823 to um, 1840, mm. where my sources were from. So there you go. <laughs> very useful, very useful for fic generation. I hope that everyone listening goes home and goes home, goes, <laughs> uh, is already writing up notes for their fic that they're going to publish for us. Uh, it'll be like five days after New Year, but... <laughs> mm. No, but isn't this coming out on the first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming people write in about like one to five business days. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm usually like, but Nemo, when I'm like, what if you wrote this? You just do it and it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I need Jean Valjean and Javert sharing that sugar plum. <laughs> in their matching scents. Yes. Oh my gosh. Which can be um, spiced plum flavor. <gasps> yeah. There we go. So... <laughs> There's the happy holidays portion, <laughs> and then also the let's please not go to war. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Um, well, mine is decidedly less cheerful than this, so I hope you're ready for a complete tone shift. I mean, the war was a, a fair transition, but... Uh... <laughs> if you only want holly jolly. Um, so, talking about Christmas gifts, I mean, 
um, you're you're gonna have to go and do like research again to see wh- when the like coal giving coal in the stocking was, <laughs> um, but because um, there's this there's been this one thing that I've been like trying to like scratch for a while because there's this quote that I mentioned quite a lot, which was one of the first reasons I actually started looking for race non-white race in the novel, which was this line, which was like the um, Patron Minette, which is um, Tenardier's crew, who we met in the last normal episode. In a couple of chapters time, they come in with um, masks or black slime covering their faces, turning them into colliers, negroes, or fiends, whichever you feared the most. And so I was like, oh, it's, it's interesting that, well, this is the most explicit, like, uh, one of the most explicit references to black people and also to that they're black facing. And mm. so a lot of my thesis is about like metaphorical and literal black facing and evil and all that kind of stuff. But then my supervisor was like, oh, it's interesting that he specifically mentioned colliers, which are coal miners or people who work with coal. Um, like, did they have something negative? Like, was there a negative representation of them in the media or, like, what what's happening there? And I was like, oh. So I went to the British <laughs> Library to find one book which had, like, one paragraph about coal miners in it. Um, because unlike England, which at the time was, like, uh, really profiting because of the amount of coal that they could find, because England had a lot of um, uh, waterways, right? And so you could... Mm. It wasn't just about the mining, but about the transport of the mining, the, like... It was so much cheaper to um, bring coal from across the country to London in order to have these like huge manufacturing places. But in France, um, I mean, the country is bigger and also the mines, like there are, there are less waterways because mm. it's landlocked and not an island <laughs> like we are here in England. Less um, canals to transport via. Exactly. And so transporting all of the coal was really expensive and the coal mines themselves weren't as easy to get down as in England. Um, they were a lot more, they were basically harder and more risky to get down. And so you couldn't have the same kind of mining system that the British did. But France was trying to be as industrial as everywhere else, right? Like because there's mm. this whole competitive market. And um, Germany was doing quite well, and but France didn't want to import loads of coal because you know that would rise a that would be a lot of money, and you know there was all of this like fighting over territory and stuff already and stuff. So um, there there really was like quite a tense political thing about coal mining and coal miners, and um, there was a lot of coal mining happening in the north which, you know, is closest to Britain. So I guess it's the same kind of coal, like, veins, Mm. I would suppose. Like, you know, we're not that far away. So um, you would have these coal mining towns mostly in the north of France. And they would be the kind of, those kind of mining towns which are run by the companies. And they were like three big companies, basically, which were kind of controlled by the government. And there was like... Yeah, like there would be one shop and like one school and one church in these towns and they would all be run by the coal miner, like the the um, the company, the coal company. And so like, you know, the the prices were extraordinary. The amount what they sold was like blah, blah, blah. And like everything was controlled by these companies. But there was like a major shift during the 19th century of how, how coal mining teams um, got paid. 
So for the longest time, because it was so hard to like find coal mines that were good, like it was hard to make them into this like capitalist ideal of like, you know, the company owns the coal miners who go down the mine and then come back up. Um, you would have these teams run by a person called a hewer whose experience and skill in knowing how to approach a particular coal seam helped to decide how much pay the crew would receive. So basically like this hewer would make his own little crew and apprentice basically his family into it. And that family would know how to do this mine thing. And so the company would pay that man and he would then pay his crew. And mm-hmm. so it did make this kind of hierarchy where there was essentially a gang leader in the sense of like, this is a, a crew, a gang of people. And they would be entirely dependent on him to find the best like seams um, in order to no- negotiate pay, in order to get the best contract and all that kind of stuff. So... Actually, in fact, in this time, there was the idea that coal miners had this very, like, intra-group. Like, they would be in these towns, so separate from the population, in the north, so, like, away from Paris proper. And they would be, like, entirely only trusting of their gang leaders and not of the companies, because the Mm -hmm. companies then were starting to bring in, like, engineers who were trying to shortchange them. Um, They did try and... They then implemented the kind of system, the more capitalist systems um, and all that kind of stuff, which led to a lot of like injuries. And, you know, because of all this like war with England and Germany with like prices and stuff like um, that started happening. And then like loads of unions started popping up and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so so these colliers actually were probably considered a a group of people who you wouldn't interact with Mm -hmm. um, in a way that. I guess, would maybe make you concerned about them, question mark. But but I do think that, <laughs> so despite finding out all of this and despite finding that actually, yeah, Tanadia's gang does actually work kind of like a coal miner's gang would in that they all look to him to find the best quarry, I guess, <laughs> um, to find the best victim. Um, and depending on how he negotiates the contract, um, as in like, you know, extorts the victim. Um, their their share is dependent on him, and he will bring in young people to apprentice. Like he brought in Eponine and Montparnasse, and he apprentices them in order to take his role in the future and stuff. Even though there are all these like parallels, which I think are interesting to think about. I would like to conclude by saying that I do think that it is probably just the anti-blackness that like these coal miners also would be covered in like coal yeah. and soot and so would appear in blackface uh, or appear to be black. And so the whatever you feared most is more in reference to the fact that they look dark than the fact that they are in gangs. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, so that was like the research that I was doing. I was just yeah. like, I found it very, um, I guess, interesting to find these connections, and, and and that there was such a like tense like thing about about coal mines at the time, and yeah, nothing to do with New Year's or Christmas, <laughs> but it was my secondary research. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah, yeah, it's super interesting, and like yeah, completely see how Tanadia's gang really reflects the um, coal miner gang. But yeah, I I feel like I definitely agree with your um, conclusion because it's like colliers, 
negroes or devils was it or demons fiends yeah fiends Mm. but we know that like that he's likened a black character to a a fiend and you're not sure which it is before Mm. so in that context it makes sense for the um if coal miner that it's like whatever you fear more someone who looks like they could be black someone who is black or some demon being that we have described as maybe being black that like as a trio, yeah, that completely makes sense, I think, yeah. with the context that you've um, found in it. But um, <laughs> yeah, but, but I've never thought about other... <laughs> this, yeah, I guess this is just very how we're taught um, in England. You like you learn a bit about the sort of coal industry in England because mm. that was like quite a tense thing, but I'd literally never yeah. thought about it elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was actually, it's quite hard to find stuff about it. I guess like when you when you try and look for anything about coal in the 19th century, there is so much stuff about England, Britain, the UK, um, especially with like Wales and like the North. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because it is such a like fundamental part of like our history and our like industrial conversations. And like you yeah. can't really talk about class in this country without talking about mines yeah. um, and like mining towns and stuff. But then I tried to find anything about France and it was just so much harder to find. But there is, there was also like kind of a conclusion that coal mines in the in france were actually where modern capital or early capitalism was formed in Mm. france which kind of surprised me because i thought it would come from i don't know anywhere that wasn't mines but i guess at the time like it was just so right for for the politics of it all to yeah to work out that way yeah it's very interesting i guess i was gonna be like it's interesting the things that that a country does like keep a lot of conversation and history and text about Mm. yeah because like i also like they're so different from each other but i struggled so much to find like solid sources on traditions in france in this period Mm. whereas like as i say like i really was like scouring jstor and like the rest of europe were coming up so much with literally pieces like Christmas in Spain, 1830. Christmas in Spain, 1820. <laughs> Christmas traditions. It like, but it was very difficult with France. That it, it probably is a mixture as well of like, we don't speak French well, so maybe there are other places that yeah. would have the sources that like you need and that I needed for this. Yeah. But then it is also like, so I'm sure there's also a lot of that. But it is also interesting that like what we couldn't readily find what they don't have as many available sources so maybe what people don't think to look up as Mm. much does do i make vague i can't tell if i'm making sense i have like a vague shape of the idea of what i'm trying to say no i think you're making sense and uh, actually as you were talking i remembered something that i didn't put into my actual essay because it was like slightly after the time period that i wanted to talk about and um because i was thinking like these coal mining towns and stuff are like you know there i'm sure it is a case in the uk but we're not educated about it and so i've seen it more in in america the talking about like um what is it called like industry towns um mm, yeah where there's like scrip and all that kind of stuff where you can only like buy products made by that company and extortion yeah. prices and stuff and that's happening again with amazon how they're like making warehouse towns and all that mm. kind of stuff and i found this really funny because there was this quote um 
from 1873 about coal mining in France. And it was like that they kept saying that there was a labor shortage, which was why production was being kept down. And like, it, it, like we're seeing it now because of mm. COVID and all of the things that are happening where people are going on union strikes and stuff like that. And it's like, um, yeah, they were like uh, putting on, putting in all of these like things, like they were being really inflexible. These company mining co- companies were being really inflexible. They were making things like illegal and like you had to be part of an official like concession by the government. Like you had to be given all of this like, Basically, yeah, these three com- <laughs> these three people with money who probably knew people in the government had all of these like um, contracts given to them, and then there was a quote unquote labor shortage um, mm-hmm. because people were refusing to work even though it was such good money, and like <laughs> they're bringing the whole country down with their like ingratitude and stuff. And um, yeah, I just I things don't change yeah things don't change and I wonder like how much how how much even if it is written in French would have been written from that perspective as well in the kind of same way that a lot of like government stuff is written now Mm. um and I guess you don't have like so much of unlike now you can go on social media and you can read blog posts by people who are not rich or you can go on TikTok and listen to the average person but it's not like we have loads of stuff written by peasants or miners because they probably would have been illiterate um, and had to go to people like Voltaire (laughs) in order to have their case heard like you had to ha- you had to like make a journey happen upon Voltaire and like plead him to like write down your case and take it to government in order for your case to be heard and like write pamphlets for you so like yeah um <laughs> yeah good job getting Voltaire into the you're welcome uh, I was feeling episode. really heavy I was feeling like there was something lacking in- <laughs> <laughs> you've been tapping on your shoulder for a bit yeah yeah <laughs> Um, wow well, <laughs> so I, I liked your part <laughs> <laughs> somehow managed to uh, uh, force my way into this uh, holiday yeah. special <laughs> well I couldn't find sources that didn't say that coal was being left <laughs> in Parisian little wooden clogs because <laughs> we know that didn't at one point Jean Valjean, when Cosette was little and yeah. he was like there around Christmas yeah, and she'd left her little wooden shoes out. Yeah, yeah. And he, he put a put coin in. in it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, that was going on. So maybe if there was just any other Christmas sources, <laughs> I, that, that is the thing. You, you, you spend an hour scrolling JSTOR and you get nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> JSTOR handed me the lump of coal that you had to teach me about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, none of my sources came from JSTOR this time either. JSTOR really letting the team down. Um, yeah, it's, it's really let me down super hard every time I've tried to secondary research. <laughs> but Shannon Celine is my girl. <laughs> I, I, re- I recommend her. Um, she's just got like interesting things about blog posts, about... Um, I really wanted it to mention France, but like in the same period, um, having lights 
like mm. paper lanterns, which is what a thing I wanted to look up ages ago. If yeah, you remember when we watched yeah. the show, she was out here like, "Oh yeah, for celebrations, you're like making paper art with light," and I was just like, mm. "But it didn't specifically mention mention Christmas, but like that was a thing at Napoleon's like second marriage. Everyone in Paris had like done this art, these paper lantern arts. Yeah, she's just got interesting stuff mm. and like New Orleans." Uh, uh, like early New Orleans Christmases when like France had like gone over to America so like similar time periods but I was like oh I don't know if that's too far away from what I'm trying to vaguely make relevant to this podcast mm. um, I mean wasn't um Boulatruel when we talking about him being <gasps> oh yeah possibly from that area because <laughs> um, yeah, was he he was Creole yeah which I associate with New Orleans, but I don't know if that's correct. <laughs> oh yeah, I was also just <laughs> Creole Creole history in New Orleans. Yeah, because right, because New Orleans as in Orlon Orlan, Orlon, um, from France. Yeah, they would have been they would have been colonized by French people. Yeah. So yeah, so it's probably accurate to say that it's possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, if anyone is interested in all these things, um, mm. she sh- I'll also just send for Nemo to put in the show notes, but um, I'll try and I'll make the uh, my notes from today available in our public folder if anyone wants to look at the full quotes. But there's, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. I, I learned a lot today. I learned facts. You learned things for your uh, for next pick. <laughs> Isn't everything in this podcast just to, to in order that's to true. prompt more people to write fan fiction for us? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, it was, I think, festive. Yeah, I'm just going to send this episode to the pharmacist who, uh, who, who told me, <laughs> what's that even useful for? For this lady. For this. Though she was Jewish. Um, so <laughs> I don't think well, that... That's why I also did New Year's instead okay. of just Christmas. Because I was like, that gives a few, some more things to some more people. <laughs> and that sounded like the more fun one. Cause, which I guess makes sense. Like, Christmas is meant to be about Jesus. Jesus. Death. Death Whereas New life. Year's Day is just like, woo, who's my friend still? <laughs> <laughs> Let's eat sugar. Yeah, I always forget that it's like, oh, a Christian tradition. So it's, yeah, it is supposed to be the like... <laughs> Jesus stuff, but um, now it's just capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, unless there's anything else you want to say. No, I think we're good. Great. This has been Brad and Barricades, a lamest podcast produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. It was Captain's Collections podcast. Um, If you want to give us a Christmas gift, (laughs) (laughs) a non-denominational holiday package you can donate to our Kofi, and you can write a little note saying how we how you love us um or you can subscribe to our patreon you can also i've been told now on spotify rate podcasts <gasps> please rate us on spotify we know better than to re- like really <laughs> like who even uses itunes i can't no, even open it literally yeah so please give us a rev- and i don't even think you have to do anything i literally think it's just like you click on a star system thing and you don't have to do anything like it's so low risk low re- high reward high reward, <laughs> high for, reward us. for us <laughs> If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, or you want to send us a media note, you can to our um, email, 
Lena's yeah, podcast. Let us know that you still want to be listening to us in the new year. <laughs> it would mean a lot to us. It does. It gives us all that serotonin. Lena's podcast at gmail.com, L E S M I S podcast, or on Twitter, Lena's podcast, or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. Our sound director is Jade, who you can find on her bandcamp, jdosavi.bandcamp.com. And. And welcome to the new year, lads. Yeah. <laughs> um, letter to the editor. <laughs> we know that we're wiser than to do foolish moves in the new year. Isn't this a time for brotherhood and friendship? <laughs> um, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. <laughs> see, see y'all. See, see. Uh, ha, good, good. <laughs> well. I, I don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're tiptoeing into the new year like Jean Valjean yeah. tiptoed off with those candlesticks, but then he got caught, so maybe a bad <laughs> No, analogy. yeah, we're tiptoeing in like... We're tiptoeing in like Jean Valjean leaving some sugar plums at the bottom of Co- uh, Cosette's bed. That's true. There we go. Got it. <laughs>